How many gay historical figures do you know? Probably not that many. Most of them live their lives in secrecy, and history books tend to ignore any rainbow flags that someone might present. But they existed. They were people just like us, writers and innovators and artists and leaders, and they don't deserve to hide any longer. We're your hosts, Mary Rogers and Eileen Yamamoto, and join us as we uncover the ghosts in the closet. Historians say they were very close friends. Gal pals. Collie. Best friends. Independent. Companions. Rebellious. Roommates. Um, weren't they just queer? You're listening to Ghosts in the Closet with Mary Rogers and Eileen Yamamoto. Hi everyone, I'm Mary. And I'm Eileen. And welcome to Ghosts in the Closet. Today's episode brings us back to 1900s Japan, to a world of intimate female friendships, extended flowery imagery, trailblazing lesbian literature, and the passionate feminist at the heart of it all, lesbian writer and icon Nobuko Yoshia. In what is Eileen's most self-indulgent Ghost in the Closet episode ever. This one was written for me. Like, I can't even lie. I can't even lie, so I hope you guys enjoy. Also, before we get started, quick shout out to Eileen, whose birthday will have just recently <laughs> passed when this episode comes out. She's 21! <laughs> yeah, woo! Thank you, Mary. And of course, before we get into things, let's hop into some recent queer news. In an event that seems like something out of the lesbian movie of our dreams, two former pageant queens announced their marriage on social media last week. Mariana Varela, formerly known as Miss Argentina, and Fabiola Valentin, formerly known as Miss Puerto Rico, met as competitors at the Miss Grand International Beauty Pageant in Thailand and got married last month. I need to see the movie about their life. Right? They're meeting the drama. Let's make it happen. Yeah, what a place, what a meet cute. Yeah, wow. Isn't that incredible? All right, so the midterm elections are coming up in the US, uh, and the Republican Party is pulling out all of their bigoted stops. Their latest move is targeting Spanish-speaking communities with Spanish flyers containing incredibly harmful misinformation about transgender issues. These flyers, which showcase messages like Joe Biden is indoctrinating your children and Democrats are promoting the castration of boys and girls, are part of a coordinated effort to suppress and mislead Latino voters. After all, if there's anything that Republicans are better at than transphobia, it's racism. Same-sex marriage is now officially legal in all 32 of Mexico's states, a long-awaited victory that started seven years ago with a 2015 ruling that declared state laws banning same-sex marriage to be unconstitutional. Supreme Court President Arturo Saldivar said it best, the whole country shines with a huge rainbow. Love is love. Ghosts in the Closet has visited Japan before but only to discuss the rampant homosexual culture in the samurai. Rampant. Today, we're talking about something a tad more relatable to us. (laughs) Lesbian literature and lesbian love. The impact of Nobuku Yoshia's writing is still highly prevalent today, and her life, views, and passion were ahead of her time, and maybe even ours. So let's get into it. Nobuku Yoshia was born on January 12, 1896, in Niigata Prefecture in Japan, and grew up in the Tochigi Prefecture. Good job! Thank you. 
She was the youngest of five and the only girl of the family, and her upbringing was quite culturally conservative. Her family expected her to learn domestic skills and grow up to embody the traditional Japanese ideal of womanhood. Ryosai Kenbo is the phrase. Which translates to good wife, wise mother. Yoshia held nothing but disdain for her family's values, and her absolute hatred of these patriarchal expectations was evident in all of her life's work. Even when she was young, she often skipped out on domestic tasks to focus on her writing. She said, bad wife, stupid mother. <laughs> but yeah, kind of slay on her for being the youngest of, like, they definitely were like, okay, you're gonna be the homemaker vibes. And she was like, no. So in 1915, when Yoshia was 19 years old, she moved to Tokyo, where she had more freedom to diverge from gender norms. She started dressing more androgynously and cut her hair short, becoming one of the first Japanese women to emulate Western styles in that way. Wow. Pretty interesting. A trailblazer. Right? I feel like every time we talk about literally any person, it's like they grew up in this small town, then they moved to nearest big city and discovered being gay. Isn't that, isn't that how everybody discovers? And being yeah, gay? you know what? This is true. So many of Yoshia's stories and novels focus on female bonds and contain themes of friendship, love, and closeness between girls. She first made a name for herself with Flower Tales, or Hana Monogatari, published in 1916, which was a series of 52 short, sad stories about romantic friendships, unrequited love, and longing between school-aged girls. Another one of her popular books, <laughs> to- <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm reading it yeah, on the yeah, page yeah. and it's- Um, <laughs> another one- Another one. <laughs> okay. Another one of her popular books, Two Versions in the Attic. I'm sorry. <laughs> Two Versions in the Attic, um, or Yane Ura no Nishoujo, which, by the way, the Japanese title translates more to like two girls in the attic. Okay. Or like two young girls in the attic. I, I do think two versions in the attic is a very funny translation of that. Yes. Um, it like sounds like a comedy bit even. Yeah, too. definitely. Like a like, little. Just two versions in the attic. <laughs> like a sitcom title. Anyway, um, published 1919 uh, is an explicitly queer novel about a romantic relationship between two female dorm mates and is said to be based off one of Yoshia's own romances. Mm. So two versions in the attic, it's just funny, um, is especially significant because it ends with the two main characters deciding to live together as a couple, which is pretty huge because again this was 1919 in Japan. So here's an excerpt uh, from that story. Miss Akitsu's linen pajamas have a soft scent of magnolias, and unnoticed that scent of the magnolia flower was transferred to the flannel sleeves of Akiko's own sleepwear, so like a magnolia to slip its fragrance into the bedroom during the night. Their arms were resting as if entwined, the hearts in each of their breasts softly ticking, as if their two souls had disappeared into a tender dream without beginning and without end. A soft, pliant kiss, <laughs> a kiss like trembling and melting into a damp red petal. <laughs> okay, so I have a few things to say. Let's hear them. First of all, flannel sleeves. <laughs> this was what, sorry, 1919? She was ahead of her time. Ahead of her time. Um, secondly, sorry, the hearts in each of their breasts. <laughs> like, interesting specification. Thank yeah, you. These are two women is what she wanted to say. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wow. A kiss like trembling and melting into a temperate yeah. paddle. And so That's beautiful. It is beautiful. It's very like emotional dreamy, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously just from this excerpt alone, you can tell that there's a lot of flower imagery. Mm -hmm. And flower imagery was a trademark of Yoshio's work. She focused a lot on roses as a symbol of love as well. And actually fun fact about like, 
flowers, I guess. Uh, lesbian imagery in Japan today is also heavily based on flowers. Really? So this is where kind of its sources are from. Like, oh, there's a word for lesbian in Japanese that directly translates to the word lily. And so there's this what like- What is it? It's yuri. Oh, that's- Wait, Yeah, really? it means lily. I was gonna and guess yuri and then I thought that would sound stupid. <laughs> no, you know what you're talking that's about. Not a um, so uh, this kind of like connection between flowers and lesbian imagery is still um, prominent in Japan today, which I think is really interesting. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like why it. not flowers, right? Um, as an open and ardent feminist, Yoshia was unafraid of putting explicit messages of female empowerment and equality, as well as queer messaging in her works, and it paid off. She eventually became one of the most commercially successful novelists in Japan. Other popular titles of hers include Women's Friendships, A Husband's Chastity, and Demon Fire. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> love her so far from her excerpt. Her titles could use some work. These one of these things is not my favorite. <laughs> I'm sorry, we've heard four titles so far, and three of them sound like porn titles. <laughs> Written by men and directed by men. Women's friendship. Women's friendship. <laughs> a husband's chastity. Demon fire. <laughs> Demon fire. Like, that's so funny. I don't know what these, honestly, are, but you know what? She wrote a lot about women and women's issues, so slay, I guess. Yeah. Here's where it gets really fun and interesting. It is hard to understate how big of an impact Yoshia had on Japanese culture because it's an impact that any Japanese person or fan of Japanese media probably feels every single day. Yoshia's dreamy writing style, her characters and settings, and the themes and plot lines she employed were a direct influence on the beginning of the shoujo genre in Japanese media. So shoujo translates to young girl, and this genre of media is directly targeted at adolescent girls, though its current popularity really transcends its target audience. So stories in the shoujo genre, which are often like manga, uh, which are Japanese comics or anime, Japanese animation shows, they're often romances and they have really specific aesthetic and narrative conventions and tropes. And a lot of these conventions and tropes can be traced back to Yoshia's stories. So one kind of well-known example that our listeners might know in the shoujo genre is like Sailor Moon. Really? Is a shoujo um, okay. manga anime. And side note, Sailor Moon's actually like pretty gay. Can I just um, say <laughs> in Eileen's notes next to Sailor Moon in all caps it says gay gay gay. Sailor Moon is gay. I've talked about this with Mary but there's like such a, a homo erotic relationship between two girls in Sailor Moon in the original like Sailor Moon anime that when they translated over to English they made the two girls cousins to censor how gay they were for like, each other. Like come on. So that's how gay it was. Um, but to put everything simply one of the biggest most beloved genres in Japan today was born out of lesbian literature. Yeah, it was. That is yeah, it incredible. Was. When I first saw that, shoujo is a, it's one of the huge genres in Japan. It's it's like globalization has also brought it to all around the world. And it started with lesbian literature. It started with girls kissing. Especially that's huge, especially considering the state of Japan being one of the most conservative and homophobic developed countries today. So yeah, as I said earlier, Yoshio was not afraid to voice her opinions, especially if that meant hating on men. So I want to share an excerpt from a letter she wrote about one of her projects, a literature magazine for girls called Black Rose. So that was like her own project. Um, and there were other similar magazines at the time, many of which contained stories that encouraged marriage and other traditional patriarchal ideals. So so of course Yoshia was not satisfied with them. In this letter she writes, quote, 
The girls' magazines are so terrible lately that I just sigh every time I read them, almost to the point of endorsing obscenity. They push on girls the idea that they should be flirting with men. Are the artists and writers who publish there really human? These people take their filthy hands and cover girls' eyes, propping them up as so many clay dolls that can only think of marriage. They are truly a dirty bunch. With Black Rose, I raise a protest banner against that trend. Nobuko will write, throwing flower petal after petal against it. To guide the shoujo out of the darkness, I will lead them with my own hands out onto a lighted path. Like Joan of Arc, I will wield Black Rose like a sword against the male writers who lead them astray. <laughs> I will do battle with them, face to face, shouting, Be gone, you demons, and exercise them from our midst. Are you... Are you serious right now? I'm sorry, you can't see my gaping mouth throughout this entire excerpt. What? I have chills. She is she is a feminist badass. Let's discuss I will do battle with them face to face shouting be gone you demons and exercise them. <laughs> I love it. Again, this was like early 1900s Japan. There wasn't like this was radical. Yeah. Radical and I, I just I think also just the way she talks and she will throw flower petal after power yeah, petal. Like she, that's such interesting like imagery. Mm -hmm. She has say. such a specific way of writing. I love it. She's she's like telling a story in her argument. Oh, I just love it. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. What and to say. again, she was incredibly commercially successful. So I, that's kind of why I'm loving this story so far and I'm loving her life because uh it's not like wrought with a ton of tragedy. So Yoshia further solidified this view in a magazine article writing that, quote, Therefore, just as there are men who refuse the fate of being husbands or fathers, so too must women refuse to let people take away all options besides being wives. If this is considered rebellious, I say, what is wrong with that? Is not the basic daily life of humans an ongoing rebellion against nature? The building of civilization is a record of that rebellion. Wow. I know. Like, she's right. Like, her argument is so sound. Like, it's, you can't argue with it if, if you try to use the argument that it's against nature or whatever. Or that it's, like, fate for women to be wise. Yeah, it's well, like, then what are we doing as humans? Exactly. Like, she's so right. Nothing that we have done in the past hundreds of years has been natural. It's mm -hmm, been... Exactly. Wow. It's just an argument that you can use for so many things. And again, timeless. Like, it just, it, she wrote this how many, like a hundred years ago and it's still like hitting. Yeah. It's incredible. I just think that's so wonderful. And I love it when we talk about writers because you really get to get a very strong sense of who they are. Mm -hmm. Like we're not just like, you know, talking about historical accounts. This is like, this is her. This, I just feel so connected to her reading Right, this. that's like, why it's so, you're right. It's great covering writers because it's like all just like exactly their thoughts on the page. Yeah. And so. this woman is incredible. Incredible. On the topic of lesbianism. <laughs> so basically, when I wrote this script, I started off this portion with the sentence on the topic of lesbianism on the assumption that we would be mentioning lesbianism. As we often do. So I think that, you know what, whatever. And on that topic, <laughs> Yoshia met math teacher and future life partner Chia Monmo. Is that correct? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> in 1923. The two soon moved in together and formed a relationship that would last 50 years until the end of Yoshia's life. Wow, what a successful marriage. True. Uh, despite Japanese society at the time, Yoshia was open about their relationship, which is eternalized in photos, diaries, and of course, love letters. Here's an excerpt from one of them. Darling, you are the light of my life, my very conscience. With you, I am truly a better person. Aww. That's just so sweet. I think that's a very nice thing to say to someone you love. Yeah. Not like, I love this about you, but like, you make me a better person. You are like, the yeah. light of my life. You gotta get with writers because they will write you the most wonderful, this is beautiful so things. This <laughs> Guys, I lose right. <laughs> Guys, I'm so single. <laughs> Anywho, in a diary entry, she also wrote, Monma's letters always purify my soul. Aww. 
Oh. Like, isn't that just such, like, oh, I just love them. So Manma eventually began working as Yoshida's secretary, and the two considered themselves married. They traveled around the world together, staying in the Soviet Union, Paris, the US, and more, before eventually setting in Kamakura, a city in the Kanagawa prefecture. Of course, at that time, and still today, same-sex marriage is not recognized in Japan. So, in 1957, Yoshida officially adopted Manma, which was the only way for the pair to legally share property and make legal and medical decisions together. Isn't that insane? Wow. She had, had to adopt her. Yeah. But what a workaround, I think, a loophole. That is so crazy. Isn't that crazy? Like, you think about it for a second, you're like, oh my like, god. She actually talked about loopholes, but this was like, I, I don't know, a completely outside of the box <laughs> yeah, like, uh, method. Isn't that insane? Crazy. And again, it just speaks to like, I know that um, Monma and uh, Yoshia were both like, they connected because they like had the same fe like feminist ideals, super anti-patriarchy, whatever. Right. So like, they were, they put in the work to like working around the patriarchy. They yeah. were so not good going to like, oh, it's just incredible. Like the adoption thing, when I read about that, I was like, yes, right? Yeah, so in her proposal of this idea to Manma, Yoshia wrote, after reading your letter, I resolved to build a small house for the two of us. I will then adopt you so you can become a legal member of my household, adoption being a formality since the law will not recognize you as my wife. In the meantime, I aim to get the law reformed. We will have our own house and our own household register. We'll celebrate your adoption with a party just like a typical marriage reception. It will be our wedding ceremony. I want it to be really grand. I wonder what kind of wedding kimono would look best on you. A couple things about this. Number one, oh Come my on. god, the wedding kimono! That last line is so Come cute. on. First of all, I think that this is like literally what every single lesbian is trying to be. I will build a small house for the two of us <laughs> Actually, ahead of her time. Come on, yeah, she'll leave some for the rest like, of us. Like, come on. I love the attitude of like, okay, I had to adopt you because we couldn't get married, so I'm gonna change that law. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah. I think something that, that draws me so much to her is her confidence and her like swag. Yeah. Like she's, she's kind of swaggy, she bro. Has that's such a good way of putting it. She has so much swag. Like in everything she says, she's not like, like not, you're right, nothing is tragic. She's just like, I know what I want to do. I'm going to make it happen. Mm -hmm. F*** everybody who's against me. Exactly. You can't touch me. So self-assured. Wow, she's and incredible. So incredible. So as we've talked about, Yoshia was clearly aiming for a radical change, and her sentiments were shared by Monma, who wrote to her, I can only think of how soon we can arrange to live together. There's nothing I need more than your warm embrace. It is unfortunate that we are not a male and female couple, for if you were a male, our union would be quickly arranged. But a female couple is not allowed. Why is it that, in our society, love is acknowledged only by its outward form and not by its depth of quality, especially since there are so many foul and undesirable aspects to heterosexual sexual relationships. She said it. Like, she's right. Like, I'm glad someone <laughs> is did. Is she wrong? But I love the way she says it. It's like, she says it like it's the most obvious thing in the world, which it is, but not at that time. Yeah. They seem like a couple that really elevated each other in that sense. Really? Because they so strongly believe like that. Yeah, what a great pair. Historical lesbian love just makes me so happy. I know, I'm so happy. Gosh. So later, around the time that homosexuality became more stigmatized and Japanese society shifted to even more puritanical values, Yosha also stopped writing about explicitly queer relationships. Though Yoshia's stories still contain lots of intense platonic relationships between women, most of them didn't end too happily. And she also wrote a lot more about heterosexual relationships as well. Boo. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah, it sucks. But she said I have to get my bag. Um, despite a lack of explicit queerness, 
Her later works still contained strong feminist themes and explored womanhood in ways that no authors in Japan had done before. Her works were highly popular, and Yosha's writing was able to secure her a financial independence and a happy, peaceful life with Manma. You know, a win is a win. A win is she a win! Could, she could financially support her lesbian love life, so I'll, I'll take and it. And I think it's like, if you just think back to like the beginning of her life growing up when she was trying to be good, when, when her family was trying to instill the like good wife, wise mother ideal, she legitimately, like you said, she said, no, I'm going to support myself. And she she went off and was just fully independent, completely by herself. She did it. So that's, it's remarkable for that time period. It's incredible. Uh, yeah, and so she also had five houses <laughs> and a car. So she was rich. Um, wow. Which actually made her the first Japanese woman to own one. I oh know. That is so cool. Money, money, money. Uh, so yes, she did well for herself in more ways than one. Sadly, Yoshia died of colon cancer in 1973 at the age of 70 leaving her house to the city of Kamakura to be used to promote women's culture and educational activities. So till the very end. It is now officially the Nobuko Yoshia Memorial Museum, and her study is preserved exactly in the way she left it, from being a beloved, fearless author to having a successful queer relationship in 20th century Japan to helping shape the cultural landscape of Japan today. Nobuko Yoshia's contributions aren't easy to forget. I just, I can't... She's incredible. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't know who she was. Me. <laughs> Japanese lesbian. Yeah, you failed I yourself. Failed. You failed your demographic. I get a D minus in Japanese lesbianism. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where I'm going to get into just... I'm going to start ranting. <laughs> As you should. Because again, this is a subject that is of a lot of interest to me, being a Japanese person and a lesbian and a loser. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the modern implications of Yoshia's writings in the context of something called Class S. So you might be wondering why Yoshia's works were so widely accepted and normalized, and Class S is kind of the reason. So a Class S relationship is a romantic friendship between girls with clear intimacy and love that kind of blurs the lines between platonic and non-platonic feelings. So that's like what this means. Um, the S, of course, stands for sister. Wait, so Class S is like a category of literature in it's, Japan? Like you call them Class S relationships, but it's also genre. Class S is okay. a genre of literature, a genre of like now manga, anime, that kind of thing. So Yoshia is credited as the pioneer of Class S literature, but these relationships are very real and a lot of women actually experience them. Right. So they were usually between school-age girls and regarded as normal for that age, especially in an era where Japan was filled with girls-only schools. And yeah, so despite obvious queer subtext, these relationships aren't seen as legitimate same-sex attraction. So they're seen as a phase, kind of a romantic adolescent love that would end when the girls grew up and went out to find husbands. It's temporary, it's very much like, oh, I'm a lesbian until graduation. Okay, so basically you can like get away with telling sapphic narratives because of people's homophobic yeah. assumptions. Yes! Huh. Exactly, because, oh, well, this is just like a thing girls do. It's a phase. So yeah, um, the normalcy of this phenomenon might be why Yoshia's stories about girls, despite like the explicit lesbianism in her early works, because like two versions of the attic is explicit lesbianism, you yeah. know? So you'd think that like people would read that and then the rest of her stories be like, well, this is a little gay, I think, because we know that she writes gay stuff, but you know, it was it was class S. Um, so that's why her, her stories were so accepted and widely popular. Mm. So of course, it is a bit of a double-edged sword. Well, the normal 
normalcy of class S relationships and class S media might have allowed queer girls to explore their sexuality and normalized physical and emotional intimacy between girls, this concept also portrays love between women as a phase, something fake and temporary to grow out of. So though it was normalized, it wasn't taken seriously. So Yoshio's pioneering work in the class S genre has a clear impact that we can see today. There are numerous Japanese uh, manga, anime books, and even huge media franchises that all take from the class S genre that feature clear attraction, intimacy, and this weird like gray subtextual queer romance between girls. And Mary and I, like I've told Mary a lot about this, Mary and I have watched some of this stuff, it's insane. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, it's You're nuts. Not and it's hugely popular and normal. Of course, a lot of it comes from the fact that their target audiences these days, it's often men. Yeah. So again, it's, it's a fetishization thing, seeing these women like being like this with each other. But it is important to note that these series do garner a lot of attention from queer women and queer fan bases mm -hmm. um, as well who like see that subtext and are like, eh, this is gay. You're gonna get a few examples of class S in trivia today. Oh my <laughs> it's god. It's gonna be awesome. I'm so excited. So, um, so same-sex marriage still isn't legal, it's only recognized in a number of regions, and there is little authentic queer representation in Japanese media. So being queer in Japan is still a source of shame for many, although newer generations are starting to have more progressive attitudes as life goes. So luckily there actually is some improvement and I want to talk about an example that like made me really excited and this is a very recent example from like one or two weeks ago. So there is, um, I, I said earlier that there are a lot of Japanese media franchises and they're all centered around like there's no male characters, like it's just guys and a lot of them are also video games. Yeah. And so there's one called D4DJ about like DJ girls, I guess, I mean, <laughs> whatever. They make it so class S, like subtextually queer. But two weeks ago, D4DJ released a new, like it's like a DJ unit, I guess, so a new cast of characters. Um, and they released the character profiles and explicitly stated that two girls, two of their new characters are dating each other. Oh my god. It literally said, this person is dating this person, they are in a relationship. That's so and exciting. And so the first time I saw it, I thought it was like a translation error because I was like, there's no way. But I actually went to like, I was so curious, I went to like the Japanese website to look it up and yep, they are dating. So we moved class, class S. Like explicit queer romance That's in big. one of Japan's hugest media franchises. Wow. It's so great when like these massive bodies do that because you know people are going to follow. Like what's next? Who's going to do it next? Yeah, exactly. And like people in Japan and the fans were excited about it like that's no kidding that is massive and I know what you're thinking you're thinking Ailey like calm down it's two video game characters they're anime girlies but I <laughs> no for real but I cannot stress this to you enough this is how it starts with two girls in a popular video game saying that they love each other it starts with trans book characters it starts with boys kissing on TV and it starts with movies where queer people live happily ever after it starts in fiction because after that we start seeing more openly queer actors queer musicians, queer politicians, and then we start seeing change. And that is always the most important thing. Mary and I are becoming media producers because we understand that media brings change. Because queer media changed us. And so yes, I will get excited about every single tiny minuscule queer development in Japanese media because it means that queer people in Japan are one tiny minuscule step closer to being less afraid. I... <laughs> Guys, I just want to give Miley a hug right now. That was awesome. I'm feeling fired up. <laughs> As you I'm should. very fired up. And you're right. Everything you're saying is so right. I, just the line you said about how media changed us, it just couldn't be more true. It couldn't be more true. That's why we're doing this. So 
<laughs> That's queer media in Japan. And actually, I just want to throw in like a more concrete positive example. This past week, Tokyo actually became the largest municipality in Japan to issue certificates to recognize same-sex marriage. No way! So these certificates aren't legally binding. It's not like a legal marriage, but they do provide some steps forward in terms of housing, insurance, you know, medical access. And so this is a development that Nobuko Yoshia would have been aiming for her entire life. All of this discussion and ranting to say that Nobuko Yoshia's impact is incredible. Yoshia was a remarkable person. She wasn't secretive about her love for Chiyo Monma and her passion for writing about women's love for each other. She was an ardent feminist in a country that lived and breathed tradition, and she never stopped fighting for women's equality and independence. With her own car, own house, and a family registry with no man, she was a queer feminist icon in her own right. Yeah, she was. She really was. Like, I want to, like, add more and, like, say smart things, but everything you're saying is just, <laughs> no. you're hitting the nail on the head. Again, this is my self-indulgent episode. I'm just sitting here next to Ali, like, nodding. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your presence is bars. calming and wonderful. <laughs> So, eventually, there will come a day when queer people in Japan can live freely and openly. And when that day comes, it will be because of the efforts of people like Nobuko Yoshia, people whose talent and art and genius are still helping, educating, and entertaining people years and years later. Her words are unforgettable, and her writing is a love letter to women everywhere. To Nobuko Yoshia, life for women is probably a bit like those roses that she used to write so much about. A bit thorny, a bit fragile, sometimes maybe a bit rotten, but still filled with meaning and so profoundly lovely. Did I tell y'all Ali was a writer? <laughs> I, I was like, I'm going to make this one dramatic. I think it's what Nobuko Yoshio would have wanted. Yeah, she, she's clapping from the grave right now. <laughs> she's clapping. <laughs> so I've talked a lot about Class S, and now it's time for trivia. <laughs> so... <laughs> I wanted to give everyone, and of course Mary, some examples of Class S, which is why I have devised a game in our favorite game format called, Is This Class S or Did I Just Make It Up? <laughs> I'm so excited! <laughs> I will read a quote or like a bit of dialogue, maybe like an internal thought from a, a character or characters in what is regarded as like a Class S relationship in anime or manga or Japanese media. And then you'll have to tell me if that's legit Class S and that's like a legit thing that was on TV or like in a book that that is not actually queer. It's supposed to be just subtextually queer, just Class S or if I just like made it up. Okay, I think I'm gonna gonna do absolutely terribly. <laughs> I don't think so because this class S stuff is like so crazy that you're gonna like... I just can't wait to see what you made up. Also, Mary and I were hanging out last night and I was working on this while like she was working on something else and I literally was just like giggling on the other side of the couch. Yeah, I was like, what are you laughing at over there with your AirPods I was like, in? I can't tell you. Okay, quote. I don't want to hear it. You said you'd see my dream through with me, that you'd stay by my side. So please just belong to me. It's so gay that it has to be real. It is real, it's class S. <laughs> What's it from? Okay. Um, an anime series called Love Live. So the main character's best friend witnesses another girl accidentally trip and fall into the main character's arms. Best friend gets so jealous so that she confronts her later. And in the scene that this dialogue is said, the best friend tackles the main character onto like a bed. Oh my God. Yeah. And she says, please just belong to me. Belong to me. Belong to me. That is so And it's class S, they're just friends. That's actually, no, they're not. Sorry, <laughs> they're not. They're actually not. Um, so this is a bit of context. <laughs> this is from a story about a girl's high school volleyball match. I'm happy to let the sun burn out if it means having you with me. I let the world fall to ash. Oh my goodness. 
Oh, this one's so romantic. I know. Yeah, I think it's I think it's real. No, I made it up. Oh man. <laughs> I made it up. Well done. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, this is like there's an emotional conversation that a girl is having like with her girlfriend. <laughs> girlfriend. Yeah. Right? Um, and this is like her di- inner dialogue. She says, "I was about to get sucked in. In that moment, I felt like I wouldn't mind losing my life." Bro, that's some that's some unhinged content. So it has to be real. It is oh real. It is real. When she says that, they're like, she's like on top of this mountain with this girl, and they're like sightseeing, and they're like talking about their life's ambitions. And this this one girl like runs a finger down her face, and and she's like, that's the other girl's like, I wouldn't mind losing my life in this moment. Bro, class S, class S needs class to be S. stopped. Like that's Literally. actually crazy. Literally. Okay. Um, we've got <laughs> for heroes, there are trials. For saints, there are temptations. For me, there is you. <laughs> I think you wrote it. No, it's class S. Actually, shut up. I'm sorry. There's no way. It's class S. There's class no S. way. It takes place where these two girls who are like rivals but friends, like they're not, they're like friends, whatever, homoerotic friends, and they're flying through the air mid sword fight. Wow. And they say that. <clears throat> Next one. Um, context. So this girl's like, she gets like cursed or something and then she gets saved by her upperclassmen. And this is her inner like coming to life dialogue. In that moment, I felt like I could finally breathe with her. It wasn't my lungs bringing air in and out of my body. It wasn't my heart pumping blood through my veins. It was her touch, her hand on my face, telling my body to come alive. Like actually, sh- come on, that can't be, that can't be real. That's not real. I wrote it. Yeah, you're right. Oh, man. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, um, quote, just a quote. Look at me. Please only look at me. Put your hand in mine. I've never been more sure about something in my entire life. You made it up. I did make it up. Damn it! Come on! <laughs> I'm sorry. I made it it's up. It's just like so sweet and perfect. It I is. Like. Yeah, so I was like, how do I? It's so hard to like write it. Okay, some dialogue for you. One says, you won't betray me. The other one says, if I betray you, you can kill me. The other one says, I actually will. The reply, you probably would and I'm prepared for that. After all, this is a confession of love. Okay. <laughs> That's like, it's just so blatantly gay and not even subtext at all that I think it is real class S. Yeah, it is class S. And you might be thinking, what are these Girl. two girls so serious about? It's an anime about a high school band. <laughs> okay, I have one last one for you. <clears throat> as long as I can be with you, I don't care about anything else. You're my everything. If it wasn't for you, I'd have nothing. I love the way you laugh. I love the way you talk. I love the sound of your footsteps. I love your hair. I love everything about you. Come on. <laughs> if this is real, like, I'm sorry. It's fake. It's class <laughs> And Mary, we watched this movie together last summer. Wait, it was that movie? Yes, listen to Bloomberg. That is Bro, my trivia for the day. That's absolutely ridiculous. I'm like, gonna have to show you some of these scenes because they're nuts. Yeah. Like, legitimately, class S is it's gay, man. I love your hair. I love your footsteps. That's gay. You're so right. Anyway, so that was trivia. I hope you enjoyed and I hope everyone I, got a good taste of class S. I thoroughly enjoyed and also just like feel a little bit like angry. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on. Well, that's it for this week's episode. We hope that you enjoyed learning about Nobuko Yoshia's wonderful life and learned a little something about the brief history of lesbian media in Japan. So feel free to message us if there are any stories or topics you think we should cover next, or if you're a queer student who wants to feature their work on one of our episodes. And of course, follow us at Ghost in the Closet Podcast on Instagram because um, we're going to be active soon. We yeah, promise. eventually. <laughs> one day. As always, I'm Eileen. And I'm Mary. And we'll see you next time to uncover more ghosts in the closet.